Good morning. Can you hear me? No? Okay, one more try. Is that working? Okay, great. Thank you, Phil and Vicki, Holly, David, for that, <laughs> for, for that opening, just for drawing our attention, reminding us the importance of what we believe, and just starting to draw our hearts and our minds to the one that we need to believe in. As Phil said this morning, I'm going to get into the first part of thinking, what do I believe? Thanks, David. And I'm going to be focusing this morning on the topic of God. Interesting. Is there a God? Who is he? How do we know that he exists? What are some of his attributes? And following up on that, how should we live knowing that he's real? Uh, Phil mentioned it. Just uh, another reminder that in your bulletin there are four questions. And thank you, Hannah, for that. My intention this morning is not to answer all those questions, although I think you might see a few hints to some of them, especially the first one in my talk. But really it's meant for you to take home and give it some thought on your own time. It's for personal reflection. The key idea for our consideration this morning is this. Sorry, little technological challenges this morning. The key idea this morning is this. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can you say that with conviction? Perhaps there are some here who can't say that, who aren't so sure about that. And if so, that's all right. You're in the right place. And if you still aren't sure when I'm done my talk, then I'd be more than happy to keep talking with people, with anyone, about who God is, who, why he's the true God, and why we should believe in him. As Phil said, believing is more than just an intellectual exercise. It's more than just knowing that he exists here. It requires a response. Belief requires an action. So before we start digging into this, let's just open with a word of prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we do just pause. We thank you for your love. We thank you that the God of forever came down, thought about us, created us, and knew that our hearts weren't right and sent us his Son. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your spirit. And we thank you for your words that we can open this morning. Help us, Father just to grow in our knowledge and our love of you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is God? What do you think of when this question comes up? Any thoughts? Who is God? Yes. He's Jesus. Anyone else? The Creator. One from that side? Anyone? Our Savior. 
Amen. The greatest there is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I was looking through my Bible and I just, under the, one of the topic sections, it said God. And so just out of curiosity, I look up God under the topics. I thought, there's probably a lot of references in the Bible there. And this is the list that uh, I pulled out of one of my Bibles. Created everything. Warrior. I won't read everything there, but gracious and merciful. Judge, holy, love, all-powerful, all-knowing, the King of Kings. And each of these has a reference. And when, I, when I looked at this list, I thought, hmm, just about anything good you can say, you can probably apply to this if you're thinking, who is God? One of the things that I noticed on this list, I thought, you know what, it's not there, probably because it's not worded in the scriptures uh, verbatim, because these are pulled from the scriptures, but I thought, you know what, what's missing? God is just too great to be described. Our God is so amazing, words fall short. Some people might look at this list when they say, who is God, and say, you know what, you're missing something really important. He's just a figment of your imagination. He's a crutch that weak people need to get through life. There is no such thing as God. In the book of James, we're told that even the demons believe that God is one. And then they shudder. I didn't look up the actual numbers myself, but from some of the material I read as I prepared, maybe less than one in ten people actually believe there is no such thing as a God could be as high as a little under 20%. But there's a range. It's, from what I gather, it's surprisingly few people don't believe there's a God considering the way things go in our society nowadays. But most people definitely would say there is a God. Unfortunately, they wouldn't all agree on who God is or agree that there is one true God. Certainly not the one that we read about in our Bible. Sooner or later, I'll get the direction right on this. The Bible tells us there is a God, and he's always existed. Nobody or nothing created God. He's been there from the beginning. He's the one who created and sustains everything. And we see this right from the beginning of the Bible. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing has been made that has been made. In Him was life and that life was the light of men. God's been there from the beginning of time. The Bible also tells us that God's revealed himself through his creation. For example, Psalm 19 tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In Romans, Paul tells us that 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. When you look around, you see evidence of God's hand all around. In the early days, God's name was represented by capital letters Y-H-W-Y. It was considered too sacred to even pronounce, so my Lord was added to it. And it was substituted in reading, and vowels were added, and we get Jehovah, the one true God of the Israelites. And it showed just the reverence the Jewish people had for this self-existent true God. And then translations from Hebrew to Greek resulted in name Yahweh. Jehovah, or Yahweh, performed mighty acts of power that repeatedly demonstrated that he was the one true God. Nobody else could claim the credit. It was done in ways that pointed only to him. Has everyone here heard how God led his people out of Egypt? The Egyptians were oppressing the Israelites and God decided it was time for them to leave Egypt by way of the Red Sea. So Moses raised his staff and the waters were parted. The Israelites walked through on dry land. And when the Egyptians came and chased them, the waters closed back in and they were all drowned. Is there any doubt that this was God's doing? Then they're out in the desert. They needed food. God sent them manna. A miraculous thing that can only point to God. When they're in the desert, God gave Moses ten commandments for them. And we see this in Exodus chapter 20. We're not going to read all ten, but I just want to read just the first couple. So from Exodus 20, starting at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. When we think of attributes of God, when we think of God, jealousy isn't necessarily one that kind of comes to mind, at least not for me. It's not one of the first ones I think about. We tend to think more of the, you know, the positive things, the love, holiness that he sent us his son. Jealousy just doesn't seem to fit the pattern, does it? But God created human beings to be in a love relationship with him. He is the true God who deserves our praise and our adoration. And he won't, he didn't, and he won't tolerate people chasing after the small g gods of the world. One of the examples in the Bible where God really displayed his power and his intolerance for the false gods is found in 1 Kings 18, where we read about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab, Ahab said to him, Is that you, troubler of Israel? And what does Elijah have to respond with? He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house. Why? 
because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. We're following a false god, another god. So Elijah calls him out and says, bring your prophets together. I'm the only one left speaking for God. There's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 who follow the Asherah. Bring them together. And so the prophets are brought together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left of the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets were 450 men. So how is God going to demonstrate his strength, his power? Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut in pieces and lay on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, it is well spoken. So Elijah lets the prophets of Baal pick their bull first, and they start calling on the name of Baal. They start from the morning, and they go to noon, and nothing's happening. So Elijah starts mocking them. Where's your God? He's not listening. He must be sleeping. And so they go on trying to get Baal's attention until their time is up. But nothing happens. No fire. Their God's a no-show. Verse 30 says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So, Elijah's making sure that they know who's going to do this thing. It's not him. It's going to be God, right? At the beginning of the time of offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. He goes out of their way to make sure they know who's going to get the credit for this thing. And the fire of the Lord consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. 
The message was clear. There was, and still is, only one true God. There is only one Jehovah who was there at the beginning, who created everything, who would show the Israelites his saving power over and over again. God isn't just some abstract being or entity out there. He's a living being. In Deuteronomy, Moses told the people this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The Lord is indeed one. He's a very special one, though, in that he's three in one. Our God is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. And we see this right at the start of the Bible in Genesis, when God said, let us create man in our own image. After our likeness. Similarly, when God decided to confuse the the language at the Tower of Babel, he said, let us go down and confuse their language. In Matthew chapter 3, we're told what happened when Jesus was baptized. Reading from 3 verses 13 to 15, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting so to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, And coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Our God is still one God, even though he is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's not three separate gods, it's one. And probably one of the hardest things, I think, or in the list, my top ten anyway, of things to really comprehend at times. But he's unique and he's different from any small g-gods out there. Just as God displayed his power in the Old Testament, he also does in the New Testament. I love the way the Bible fits together. Jesus calmed the seas. He healed people. He commanded a legion of evil spirits to leave a person. Amazing power that he demonstrated. Power that only the God of the universe could have And he did things only the God of the universe could accomplish. In John 11, we see just how much power he really had. Jesus' friend Lazarus had died. And instead of going right away when he hears Lazarus is ill, he makes a point of waiting until Lazarus dies. From John 11, I'm going to just read from starting at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So what did they do? They took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, 
Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Again, just as Elijah made a point of everybody knowing where the power is coming from, Jesus didn't have to do it. But so that people would know and believe, he made a point of saying, Father, Thank you for hearing me. And I'm doing this, I'm saying this out loud so others would know. Now the Pharisees were looking to get rid of Jesus. He threatened their position of power, their social status, and their idea of who God was. Little did they know that they were helping God achieve his plan for mankind. God loves us so much that he sent us his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He gave us a demonstration of his power in raising God from the dead. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul was in Athens. And he was looking around and he saw that there's people there who just go and talk about different things, some of them about God or gods. And he noticed that there was actually a tomb or there was an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So I'm in Acts 17, 23, starting at 23. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we have our for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Again, a miraculous sign. An amazing display of God's power. Raising Jesus from the dead. In the Old Testament, God made a deal or a covenant with the people. If they would follow him... If they would obey his commands, then he would bless them. There are consequences, though, if they chose not to. But the people did have a choice. God has also given us a choice. 
And that is this. We can accept God's gift of salvation or we can reject it. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said no one comes to the Father but through him. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we're told, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So here we see two aspects of what we're going to have in the belief series. We have the think aspect, which is the basis for this first, the first ten sermons. And we start to see the act aspect, the second ten sermons. Again, believing is an action. It requires a response. So let's go back to the Old Testament again for a bit. One of the people who was close to Moses was Joshua. Joshua had been Moses' assistant from his youth. Joshua and Caleb were among 12 people sent out to go spy the the promised land. And of the 12, only they said, let's go do it. The other 10 said, you know what? Great land, amazing food in there, amazing things, but they've got these giant people and we don't stand a chance. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, let's go. We have God on our side. They have no one. And the people, though, listened to the other ten. And they were going to, there was going to be a mutiny against Moses. And they were going to stone him and go back to Egypt. Moses himself saw the promised land, but wasn't allowed to go over because he had, he had disobeyed the Lord in one thing in the wilderness. So God chose Joshua to lead the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. When he is old, Joshua gathered the elders together to remind them, and this is when they're in, in the promised land now, to remind them to turn away from false gods of the nations and serve the one true God. This is what he says. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people automatically replied, yes, we'll put away our foreign gods, we'll serve the Lord. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. This passage has some special significance for me. It was uh, actually one of the readings we used at our, that Linda and I had at our wedding. I can't say that our follow-through, our delivery on this has been perfect. It hasn't been without some bumps and a few missteps. But safe to say, serving the Lord is a priority for us. And our approach, which may seem, seem strange to some, is God first, spouse second. Even in a marriage, God still comes first. 
Earlier we read from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, one of the scribes asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Again, I just love the way that the Bible comes together. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Well, the message is pretty much the same. We have the opportunity to know God in a different way than the Israelites did, don't we? God rescued them from Egypt through displays of power with Moses as his representative. He rescues us from our sin through the gift of his son, Jesus, who had to die in our place. His spirit guides his followers. I just hadn't seen the, one of the songs that uh, we learned this morning, God of Forever, but just looking at the words, your love is what you've made us, for you say this to be forever yours. The God of forever came down, sent his son to save us so we can be his forever. Isn't that amazing? His gift of love should be the motive for our response. We need to be prepared to let Jesus be both Savior and Lord. He gets first place, not just when it's convenient for us, after we burned ourselves out at work or at school, not after we've gone on that special trip, or in between the times we're on the internet, not after we've finished with our personal interests or hobbies. While all those things can be good, they can also be distractions or things that keep us away from the true God. The command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And if anyone's wondering, the answer is no, I don't always get this right either. Two weeks ago, Phil mentioned that the goal of each Christian should be to strive to become like Jesus. We were discussing this in our study group and realized that none of us are going to get there. We're not going to be 100% like Jesus in our lives. But you know what? It certainly shouldn't stop us from trying to be more and more like him all the time. This morning, I started with a key idea that said, I believe the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I hope everyone here can agree with this idea. If you don't, I'd be happy to discuss it with you further. If you do agree with this idea, the next step involves choosing to follow him and loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He gave us his best. Are we willing to give him ours? I'd ask just, um, I was going to ask us to sing a song. Maybe we'll just ask us to do the one verse of number 484 in your hymn books. And I don't have a hymn book up. Oh, I do have a hymn book up here. Number 484. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? 
Who will be his helpers, other lives to bring? Who will leave the world aside and love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Who will face the foe who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? And I hope we can all say, I am on the Lord's side. Savior, I am thine. Father, indeed, I just pray that all of us here can truly say, I am on the Lord's side. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and making yourself available to us. Help us, Father, just to grow in our belief and our love for you, that we may honor you in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. And as Paul said... May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.